Welcome everyone to Thursday Eye. This is the first Thursday Eye after my announcement that I joined Weights and Biases as an AI evangelist. I want to say hi to my friend Junaid. What's up, Junaid? Hey, what's happening, man? I'm actually on the way to the airport. I just wanted to come up real quick and say congratulations on the, the new position, Weights and Biases. Very well deserved. I'm sure I can speak for everybody who tunes in to Thursday Eye and say we're pretty excited for you and excited for the, the future of Thursday Eye and your AI evangelism. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Junaid is my work co-hosting and he started the founded the Denver AI Thinkers meetup. So if you're in the Denver area or the greater area, you're welcome to come through. Our next meetup is actually less than a week. And I'm so looking forward for that. And Junaid, thank you for being here from the start. And it's really great to share some of these like exciting news with folks and friends. So thank you. Thank you. Say hi to some folks on stage. Uh, this was like a super impromptu uh, interview. Uh, the folks from TL Draw had a few moments and they jumped on. And really, the demo is incredible. I was waiting for some cool vision demos. And we have friends of the pods building some cool stuff. I want to see if he's going to join. But Robert, I think his name is, he built like a, a thing that takes screenshot of your screen every day, like of, throughout the whole day, and then sends it to GPT-4 and gives you what do you did that day? Like rewind, but with GPT-4 vision. And we've had multiple examples of vision stuff. And I can't wait like, to see more of this. I can't wait to like the, the hacky people. But this is, we also started from TL Drop. But for now, I just want to say hi to some friends on stage. Welcome. I think by order of joining, welcome Raj, I think. Are you with us? Hey, Lex. Congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, I think for the audience, could you introduce yourself just briefly where you're from and, and um, just a brief introduction would be awesome. Certainly. I'm, I'm based in London. Uh, I am obviously in AI space, but have been in ML space for almost 12 years. Working, started working with Scikit-Learn and got introduced to NLP something like six years ago. Started working with uh, BERT, the first model, GPT-2, GPT-3, 3.5. And then rest is history, as we all know. And um, this space is one of the one of the best that I've found so far anywhere to exchange ideas, to share ideas, and to learn something new every time. So really excited to join, join here. Thank you for joining us. And we have VB, I think. What's up, VB? Hey, how's it going? Good, dude. How are you? Welcome, welcome. Very Thanks for joining good. us again. And we have several stuff to talk to you about, right? Yeah, we got some stuff to catch up on. We got some stuff, but could you, do you mind introducing yourself first yeah, to the sure. audience who don't know you? Uh, sure. All right. Hello, everyone. I am Vivi. I'm based in Paris now, and I work at Hugging Face, and most specifically work on open source audio, With and more recently, like I've been focusing on sort of essentially making things faster and better, and yeah, we'll chat about some of this hopefully today, and Happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. And so before we get to our special guest, we have Yam returning. Hey, Yam, what's up? Hey, how are you doing? Congrats. Thank you. It's been a big day. It's been a big week, honestly, but today is a special Thursday. I, and so thank you Absolutely. for joining us back. It's been a while and would love to hear from you about the different things that we're going to talk about. And I want to say also hi to, so for folks who don't know Yam, who joined recently, Yam has been joining Thursday Eyes as a speaker, as a co-host, as our kind of, resident MLE as a, a paper introducer and translator, like multiple things. 
basically every time, which is a lot when I'm not very smart enough to understand what's going on in machine learning, Yam is there to help us out. So it's great to have Yam back again. And I just want to say hi to Idan. Welcome to Thursday. This is your first or second time, maybe? It's my first time and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. It's very happy to, to have you here. We're going to talk with Idan a little bit later after the, some of the updates. And Idan, do you mind introducing yourself just for this part? Uh, and then we'll do this again one more time later. Of course. Well, nice to meet you all. My name's Idan, and I lead a chunk of GitHub Next, which is basically the sort of research and development wing of GitHub and the home of Copilot. We originally built that, and now we're just sort of focused on on weird and unusual explorations in AI in service of developers and developer tooling. So lots of stuff that we've been working on lately that I'm excited to talk about with you all. I'm so excited that you're here, dude. I just, so, so Idan and I go way back. I think I saw you and I met you first time on stage that you talked about some fonts and some things from your previous life and previous career. Yeah. I just like a billion trillion years ago. I, I no longer even remember. So. Yeah. Uh, so, and also the last time that we did the thing together, it was a, a webinar that I ran for my folks. I just called you about Copilot and that was two years ago. And two years ago, I think almost to this like month when Copilot was released and I was like still in the nascency in the beginning and I was telling people, Hey, you shouldn't fear this. You should use this. This is incredible. I had many pushbacks back then. Two years ago, I had many pushbacks from folks who are like, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure it writes code as, as, as I like it. I'm not sure all this and that. So we're definitely going to talk about a bunch of co-pilot co stuff. And then I also want to introduce uh, LDJ, uh, who's a basic co-host. What's up, LDJ? Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Do you want to do you want to give like a brief intro to the things that you do, where you're from, who you're working with, like all these things? Yeah, sure. So I work over at News Research. We do research mainly in local open source models, things like Hermes, people might be familiar with, or something I recently worked on, which is Capybara or Obsidian, which is a multimodal model that can you can chat with it and also could see images, stuff like that. So yeah, just regular open source research like that. Just regular, just <laughs> state of the art <laughs> open source research. Just, oh, just regular. Oh, I just fine-tuned on three different architectures. All right. So before, before we officially start with the conversations, we have a bunch of stuff to cover today. And actually, let's go. Luigi, you started this and number one on my list is open source. I have this like transition that I, I'm now able to do because Ray taught me. Ray, welcome. And you want to say a few words and then we're going to transition to open source. For sure. Yeah. My name is Ray Fernando. I used to be an engineer at Apple for 12 years. I'm now having fun with AI, doing my own stuff. And I've been hopping on the pod, exploring as an engineer, transitioning. So offering my various insights and various things here. And uh, definitely got you on the Roadcaster, wrote S Sure SMB podcasting setup. So you sound really good. I'm trying to connect mine right now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we're here to talk about open source LLMs. This is our first segment of, of uh, Thursday. I did like, like the funnest segment that I have. And also... This is most of the Thursday I folks. So Luigi joined from uh, News Research, LDJ. And uh, we have folks in the audience who often join from Alignment Labs. Hopefully he'll be able to join. He wakes up sometimes later on a Thursday. And we talk about open source models because it's not enough to have just open AI, right? Like it's great. And Vision, we just talked with TL Draw. Vision is incredible, really incredible. But sometimes they're offline. Specifically last week, they were offline for a long time. And as they release some a bunch of stuff, on that on on that note, they recently closed GPT Plus for a while as well. I don't know if you guys saw, 
which is because they see a bunch of interest now from many people who want to try these things. So open source is important. And in open source, Luigi, you have some news from this week. You want to announce Capybara 34 and then talk about Yi and that infrastructure? That would be super cool. Yeah. So for those not familiar, there's a new foundation model kind of being used a lot, or a lot of people are starting to fine tune it called Yi 34 billion. And they also release a 6 billion parameter version. And uh, it's not multimodal or anything like that, but it seems to at least be significantly better than the latest Llama 30 billion parameter model or things like that, which there wasn't really a Llama 2 30 billion parameter model. But if there theoretically was, it seems like it's probably beating that too. And the recent model I worked on, which is a Capybara, it's my Capybara data set I developed with the news research, fine-tuned on that Yi 34 billion parameter model. And there's actually somebody on Reddit who does some very comprehensive, manually checked benchmarks of a range of different tasks. And he recently actually did it on a, a model called Goliath, 120 billion parameters, and then also the Capybara, 34 billion parameters. And he said that was the first two models that seemed to get perfect scores on uh, one of the instruction following portions of his test. So yeah, definitely seems exciting and already a lot of different small improvements I could see we could make to it. That's so, so cool. And uh, just shout out to Wolf from Ravenwolf, the guy on Reddit. Uh, two shout outs. First of all, Local Llama is a great place to hang out. If you're into this, if you're open source, if you're listening to Thursday and you're like, hey, what is the latest like, state-of-the-art open source models? Local Llama folks not only cover this, but like folks like uh, Wolf from Raven Ravenwolf, they actually do like evaluations. And so shout out to him. I want to bring him on. If you have a contact with him, we need him on Thursday. I talking about his research like week to week. I would love that. And... Yi is this foundational model. It's new, right? It's like two weeks old or something. Like it came out, I think, the same day as Grok. And we covered this a little mm -hmm. bit, but we never actually talked about how good it is. So can you tell us, like, from just you playing around, you played around with other 34B models. What do you feel there? What, what do you think? Like, how, wh why is it, like, now interesting and, and made you be, like, one of the first fine tuners to actually use this for great results? Yeah, actually, a kind of important part that we got to mention is that they also came out with a Yi 34 billion parameter model that has apparently 200k context. So, I mean, that's interesting, and I haven't really wow. done tests at all to test how good it is actually at high context. But I know at least for the very low context type of tests, it seems to do pretty much as good as the regular context length D model. So at least it doesn't seem to be having much of a compromise and. Yeah, in terms of like how good it is, at least in regular tests, it seems to already beat pretty much all 70 billion parameter foundation models, at least in the Hugging Face leaderboard. So, I mean, for people that consider the benchmarks there, but, you know, like a lot of people say benchmarks aren't everything. So I would just suggest people trying for themselves. But based on like the anecdotal experiences I've heard, though, it seems like it's holding up to its scores. Incredible. Yeah, go ahead, dude. I, I would love to hear what you have to say about, about uh, Yi, if you have yeah. the chance to like, look yeah. at it. Uh, so from what I know, Yi do eat signs, and correct me if I'm wrong, just on benchmarks alone, I think it's leading as a base model. Obviously, as a further fine-tuning, you need to fine-tune it. But as a base model, I think that for each size, it even leads uh, on top of Mistral, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so it is extremely interesting to see. To understand if we will find out one day what is the trick over there and also to the best of my knowledge we don't know yet what is the trick of mistral as well we are glad for the model but we don't know uh, what a trick that made mistral i just want to say that we see a global 
one step ahead for all open source models. All the base models are just substantially better. Now there is there was as it is as if there was just a step taken by all of them at the same time. And it's really cool to see. Something else that I saw, if I remember correctly, uh, the, lo the longest versions were better, which suggests that the longer context also just makes the model better in general on normal benchmarks. So, but this is from what, from what I remember, I'm just getting back into things. So I might be mistaken here and there, and I'll be happy to be called out. Awesome. Thanks, Yam. And I want to say hi to our friend of the pod and also a news research co-founder, I want to say. Technium, welcome. You want to say hi to folks and introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. I'm Technium. Yeah, I'm a co-founder. That's great. That's all you need in, in terms of introductions. Hey, everybody, I'm Technium. <laughs> everybody knows who you are. Yep. How's it going? It's, it's awesome. Thank you for joining us. And we're just talking about Yi. And one of the things we talked about is the insane context window, right? So Last week was incredible in terms of context windows because we saw uh, GPT-4 Turbo released with 128K context and everybody was waiting for OpenAI to step in here. There was also some amusing takes from the discords where they maybe have used yarn scaling, which we talked about before. Also a paper released by news uh, research co-founders, I want to say, right? Imaz and, and some folks. And I don't know if they used yarn or not in uh, OpenAI. However... So far, I think, was that Llama 128 and Mistral 128, right? Those were like the biggest context length open source ones. And now Yi is yeah. 200,000. Yeah. And have you, able, have you been able to run it to the maximum extent? What's your take on Yi generally? I think Yi is great. We haven't gotten to test any of the long context stuff yet, though, with it. All right. I'm, I'm waiting to see if actual 200,000 is possible. And then also the sky's the limit there, right? Because we do know that Claude, when they announced that 200,000 tokens is possible in concept, but they haven't released it. And we'll see if their answer is going to be to OpenAI. All right. So this is Yi and Yi Capybara is the model that's most, most capable and fine-tuned so far. And uh, Luigi, one last thing to tie the knot here is you now have a fine-tune of a 3 billion parameter, right? Which is definitely 2 billion, 3 billion. You have a fine-tune of Mistral, which is seven. And now you have a fine-tune of 34. Are you working on some others? Right now, I'm really going to focus more on actually improving the data set stuff more. And I don't really have plans for very short-term stuff. There might be people that end up using some parts of Capybara, or I might collaborate a little bit with other organizations. But yeah, I'm going to spend the next month or two really focusing on either new data sets or big improvements to Capybara. Awesome. Awesome. And oh, yeah, VB, we have one more thing to talk about Yi, right? There's some, some hugging face related discussions about Yi and some tensors. Could you walk us through this, uh, VB, if you, if you want to, if not, I'll try to cover this, but I don't remember all the de details. Sure. I think, I mean, to be honest, a lot of it was just blown out of proportion, but from my understanding, what had happened was that, so, so first of all, we need to understand what, what a, what a model is, right? So there is like one part of the release of a model is like the code base that you use for inference of the model. The second is the model weights and then model weights effectively can be sort of split into two things. One is what is the name of the tensor of each weight and the corresponding sort of value of the weight itself, right? What had happened in, in Yi's case, uh, like usually when you're sort of pre-training large language models, 
in like you would like tweak around with different parameters and you would play around with different techniques either with sampling or with the way that you're training your models which may or may not involve like playing around with the actual sort of layers and like specific tensors within it what so now let's take a step back Y34B is unless I'm not unless I'm completely mistaken is a third is based on the llama architecture and it it follows pretty much the same architecturally follows the same sort of design and pretty much everything so basically you can take the model weights and load it up in using any of the llama wrappers available be it in transformers or be it the official code base released by facebook research as well right and what they had done was every like the entire state dict which is like pretty much like all the names of the tensors matched except two there was i think like some like norming layer which had like different names and then this just became like a huge sort of controversy of sort when everyone was like yeah you're trying to bypass some sort of copyright rules or i don't know there was like people just sort of like a lot of fuss was created uh, because two tensors were sort of named um wrongly and did not conform to the original llama style and as far as i know on the latest like that has been rectified i think someone opened a pr and they fixed the names of the weights and there was like there was one very important part of part of discussion which i think we should address which was that the license and the license under which the original llama code base was released was a non permissive license i think it had certain restrictions to the tune that if you use uh, if, if you use this code base and you have to i'm not sure i i think you have to re-release your code base or you were you had to sort of abide by certain restrictions that were listed in the original llama license however if you use the transformers code base for a llama it is a complete rewrite of it so it does not so so essentially mm-hmm. like the code base is licensed under apache 2.0 which Looks like we maybe lost you, baby. Hopefully that's not on my end. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it looks like we lost you. So just to cover this just real quick, unfortunately, VB, just this guy can reconnect with us, please. Basically, he, the folks came out like super fast with a big model that looks really good. They also announced like a billion round or something. So it's like a unicorn. Uh, VB, I think you're back. I'm just uh, oh, re- yeah. recover, uh, recapping everything you said. And uh, this model came out like almost out of the blue with like a billion dollar valuation. It's like a huge UI unicorn. I think they're from Hong Kong, if I'm not mistaken as well. Yeah. And uh, so there was a little bit of a fuss. Of, hey, are you trying to use somebody else's work and then say that's yours to maybe start regulation or do some other stuff? And it looks like that was like, like you said, that was cleared. It was cleared on top of hug and face discussions, I think. So that was great. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for covering this. Uh, it does not look like they try to do anything nefarious there necessarily. And we're going to look for uh, more Yi stuff for sure. Uh, I'm sure that they're going to keep giving us giving us some cool things. It looks like they're committed to open source and to transparency because they did react to all of this and they did say there was a, somebody who's his first day on the job or something and he came out and say, hey, we, we opened the pull request, we fixed it, and we rename rename the tensors back. On the topic of hugging face, while we were here, I think. One last thing that I wanted to add is uh, Hugging Face added a fine-tuned genealogy, right? So now if you go to uh, Llama and then you go to, let's say, uh, Capybara version of Llama or News uh, version of Llama or Mistral, you'd be able to actually track back and see if this model is now a fine-tuned of which model is this. 
And also super, super cool. You guys know about quantization. We've talked about this. We have, uh, he's not yet a friend of the pod, but he's definitely a friend of everybody here on stage, the bloke. Tom Jobbins, I want to say his name is, right? And he, uh, he basically helps everyone in the community by taking these big models and reducing their, um, how should I say, uh, size, right? By, by a process called quantization, which makes it very, way easier for any of us to run. And definitely it helps uh, stuff like Zenovas in the audience helps like local stuff to run models smaller. Um, so I actually don't know why he does this, but it's like a great like help to the whole community. So shout out to Block AI. And so I think that also the quantize, quantized versions now, you'd be able to trace back to the kind of the model that he quantized and then trace back. So you, you have a full genealogy of fine tunes. I don't know, Luigi, you want to comment on this? How cool is that? I was like, that's so helpful. Just to know what GGF thing came from which fine tune. Yeah, yeah, he always has it linked at the top of his model cards. But what I think actually Hugging Face should implement is right now in Hugging Face, if you go to any model card, you can actually see on the side, as long as the creator listed it, you could see all the data sets that were used by that model. And then same thing for data sets. If you go to any data set card, you could see any model trained on that data set, assuming that they, they referenced it. But I wish they actually implemented something that like had that same functionality, but also allowed you to see maybe like what base model, for example, that a model was trained on or like deeper things like that. Or when people merge models, like all the models reference that were used in the merge. I wish we had some folks from Hugget Face on, on, on stage here to talk to. Oh, we do. <laughs> Vivi, so we're going to send this feedback with you to Hugget Face and hopefully we'll get some, we'll get some uh, new features. But this is great. I wanted to highlight this. Uh, great uh, open source as well, uh, support for open source. All right, folks, uh, moving forward. We also have Zenova here in the stage, in the audience, also laughing, also hugging face. Um, one last thing I wanted to cover on open source LLMs, and guys, keep me honest, if there's like a explosive things that we forgot, it's been a hectic week, if you understand. It's my first week as well. So I was like scrambling to read everything uh, and get them boarded. But Microsoft announced Phi 2. And we've talked about Phi multiple times before. It's a very tiny model. It's uh, very impressive on some benchmarks. And it's been trained on this concept called Tiny Stories. Yam, yeah, I don't know if you want to give us like a brief Tiny Story intro. And Microsoft now is Phi 2. And they, Satya, stay, stood on stage in Microsoft Ignite. It was yesterday, I think. And said, Phi 2 will be open source. And then folks looked into the, how should I say, the licenses. It wasn't like fully open sourced. So we're going to see like the permissive license. It was, I think it was research license only. However, it's still super exciting to have Phi as a good model. And I think it's significantly better from Phi 1.5. And it was a debate back then when Phi, uh, one point, Phi is PHI. So 1.5 was released and there was a tiny model that did like incredibly well. And then there was some controversy about whether or not that was trained on benchmarks and evaluations. And I think the folks at Microsoft said, no, we actually cleaned this up. So it was like a back and forth. I remember covering this back there. So yeah, if you remember some tiny story stuff, you want to give us like a primer on that and how cool that is. And then sure. we can move forward. Sure. Yeah, uh, the idea here is that uh, it was found out that uh, by editing or rephrasing data, raw text data into into the form of textbooks, you can train models on on vast amounts of data that is extremely clean, uh, and the models turn out to be really powerful. For example, uh, a famous one is Phi uh, One, which is an extremely tiny model that uh, at the time was trained on code only, uh, and it was uh, comparable and among the best open source code models at the time, and it was tiny. And I think just 
I'm not sure exactly what, but one point something billion parameters, which is tiny for its size. So it was, it pretty much broke some people's perspective about what is possible or not possible. Uh, a couple of months later, we got by 1.5, I think, which is, which pretty much continues this approach, but for many other topics as well, many other fields, not just programming, not just coding. And, but throughout this whole time, there is a little bit of mystery about the, the methods themselves. We never got to see the data. There are missing pieces in the, in papers. So yesterday's announcement by Satya was, is a big one because uh, for the first time they are saying it's going to be fully open source. I hope it is actually going to be fully open source, uh, but this is what we got uh, yesterday. Uh, one more thing to notice is that, uh, all of a sudden out of the blue, uh, Satya is really hugging the open source now. It's not just five. Oh, and there was also Code Llama and Llama and Mistral in this presentation. Uh, Microsoft uh, is now offering many other models, open source models for, uh, on Azure, which is, it is a big move. Uh, we we'll love to see that. Opinion. Yeah, in my opinion, it's yeah. surprising as well. We'll have to see that. Uh, VB, we'll get to you in a second. So I just want to uh, acknowledge you down on stage and Dan be, being mindful of your time uh, and thanks. Similarly connected because we're going to talk about some copilot stuff. Microsoft and obviously is is the the father of not father but like the owner of GitHub right now. Uh, so like I think it's a good time for us to to talk to Idan. Idan, everything is copilot now, but it, it didn't start everything copilot, right? Like it started with a small place in GitHub Next. So you want to talk about like where it started and what you guys worked on some cool stuff, and then we can keep talking about the new stuff that you guys are working on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. First of all, yeah. So I mean. Copilot started out, wow, it's now three and some years ago. And it absolutely started out as, huh, this model, we might be able to persuade it to write code. And, and then it did, but it wasn't good. And then there was a whole lot of sweating to make it reliably bad, like good enough to use every day. And now fast forward a couple of years and everybody sort of, I think in the development world knows about Copilot and quite a lot of quite a lot of us use it and GitHub next is sort of on to the next, to the next thing, trying to figure out how do we make this valuable in more situations, more contexts, more places where we can apply AI for the benefit of developers. That's the purpose of GitHub next. And we keep trying to advance the state of the art. So, um, that's awesome. And yeah, I think for, for folks, like just some reference, I think it was announced that GitHub copilot has 100 million paid users recently in the AI engineer event by Mario, I think he was on stage. And the many folks regard like Copilot as like one of the first big successes of real life in AI. Like people actually use this day to day and see improvements. And Microsoft is really good at, and also GitHub done this before, really good at showing kind of percentages of productivity and how many people say, hey, I want to work this if I have Copilot, etc. And uh, Copilot was just completion back then. And back then, Idan, I think it was Codex or even pre-Codex <laughs> when it started. Yes, when it started, um, it was Codex. And now, uh, through several iterations later, now Copilot is, I think, GPT-4 Turbo, I think I want to say. I heard some announcements that's coming on GitHub Universe. So maybe if you can recap, because like I saw, I think the CEO of GitHub, shout out GitHub Next, uh, and like the many things that you guys worked on to put on GitHub Universe, which was also two weeks ago, two weeks ago, a month ago. I don't know. Time makes no sense anymore. Because you talk about it was a week. <laughs> it was last but week. Yeah, it feels like a billion years ago. 
Um, so much time has passed. Yeah, can you talk about like some cool stuff that was announced that, from GitHub Universe? We covered some of them, but obviously we'd love to hear from you. What are the best, the coolest things that you think that people miss maybe? Man, I don't know. I'm spoiled for choice. So or yeah, so I, or something. Yeah. There's there's a lot. There's Copilot workspace. So yeah, so our OG Copilot is now it's no longer GitHub Next, right? The Copilot that you use every day. There's you know three teams inside GitHub just working on that and expanding that. And they're the ones that are pushing forward sort of the copilot product. You know, now it's a product and supported by engineering. And so they're working on copilot chat and they're working on all kinds of other things. And Next's job is to keep prototyping, to keep pushing forward the state of the art, to do the things that are like, well, that's that's ridiculous. Let's try that. And so I'd say that the overall focus of Next right now is on what comes after just code suggestions. Code suggestions are great and it's incredibly valuable and it's the low-hanging fruit. But how do we start to get above the ceiling that everybody is sort of bumping their heads into of how much code can we possibly suggest and it's still valuable to the humans, right? Like one of the the nice things about Copilot is it's suggesting code to you under your cursor exactly where you're working. And that means that you already have all the context in your head because it's in the file where you're typing. And it's easy for you to evaluate if the suggestion is good or not, right? It's not too long and it's right there in, in the moment. But what happens if you want to try and suggest an entire pull request or, or larger amounts of code. What if I wanted to synthesize an entire code base? First of all, the likelihood that the model just goes off the rails and suggests something that's hot garbage is way higher. And second of all, even if it does make a suggestion, because it's so much larger, it's very difficult for the human to evaluate it, right? With Copilot right now, you get a suggestion. If you don't like the suggestion, there's almost no cost. You read the suggestion, it's easy to evaluate. It's easy to say, mm, no, this isn't right at all. I don't want the suggestion or it's almost right. I'll take it and then I'll tweak it to make it right for me. So next, a lot of sort of like next uh, uh, efforts, uh, Copilot Workspace, uh, Speckling and next edit suggestions are all about how do we suggest more and make that actually useful. So um, Copilot Workspace showed off um, this workflow um, that is not just like suggest me a thing. It's like you query your code base and, and you can say something like describe the login flow for my app or something like that, let's say. And then instead of it just being like, okay, here's a suggestion, this is what I want. And it just gives you like a code suggestion. It'll come back with a plan or sorry, a description. And so you look over this description and you say, okay, this description looks right to me. Now I want to change the description. Basically, I want to describe an alternate reality. So you edit that description that comes back uh, and then you click, okay, create a plan. And then it'll take the diff of the description, like the description of how the code base works today and how you're asking it to work tomorrow. And it produces a plan. And again, that plan is, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add this to the login screen and I'm going to take this away and I'm going to change that thing. And then you can edit the plan as well. So instead of going from nothing to the full suggestion, we're exploring how do you make it so that the human can guide the models mid-flight? Because as we try to create larger and larger useful suggestions, we need to give the right user experience to humans to guide the models to delivering value. And I think that's the ballgame right now is like, who's going to figure that out? And whoever figures that out is is going to run away with sort of the next phase of Copilot. It's not going to be just little s suggestion snippets. It's 
how do we make this valuable to more developers in more situations? So I, mean, I think that that's really interesting stuff. And we're really excited. Absolutely. About um, I can't wait to see what you guys come up with. I followed, obviously, because I follow you and followed the media for a while, it was GitHub Next, and came up with the brushless concept. I really love that. And then the chat that recently also graduated right from Next, and now chat mm-hmm. is like a whole full-blown experience that everybody's going to get. Because when ChatGPT was released, Copilot was already there. It was already a product. People already used it to autocomplete and et cetera. And then suddenly ChatGPT was released and people were like, hey, let me just copy-paste code from over there because I can talk to it. I can ask it for changes. And then Copilot chat is finally coming to VS Code, the basic one. And Idan, I think the last thing you mentioned, and I want to maybe ask about this, feel free to say next if you don't want to cover this, but uh, there's obviously been another player in this building on top of basically GitHub's platform, VS Code, uh, called Cursor. You probably uh, also are looking at this and like, hey, they're inventing because many people are jumping over and saying, hey, it talks to my whole code base, et cetera. So I wanted to say, like, is, is that registering on your radars? And what are you guys doing to reclaim back the title of the VS Code, VAI editor? I'm going to channel my inner, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was like DHH and Jason Freed who are like, I don't pay attention to the competition because I pay attention to what we're making. But no, we're obviously aware of the landscape and the Cursor team is doing great work. I think our philosophy here is that figuring out how do we get to better natural language interfaces to authoring code? Like how much assembler have you written in the last, I don't know, decade? Zero, right? Like you, you don't, right? We all got used to having compilers sitting between us and the actual code that runs on your CPUs. I think the, like right now, everybody's like, oh, code suggestions and AI, and and is it going to replace my job? And instead, maybe we should be thinking about it more like natural language compilers that in the future, you're not going to know the code that, that comes out the other end any more than you know what assembler is being produced by the, the V8 runtime in your JavaScript interpreter that is jitting your code in real time. It's compiling your thoughts into code. So I think that's, thematically what we're reaching for and what I think is is interesting more than anything else because people think in natural language they don't think in code yeah and many people think in natural language they also talk uh, one of the coolest I think next things I don't know if it graduated but talking to it in voice I think was super cool and we definitely see this now with the multimodal stuff, the open the iris, the TTS stuff, they can talk back to you. Is there any multimodality coming out of the stuff that you guys are working on? From the stuff that you can mention, is there anything that to continue on the multimodality trend or be able to actually talk instead of typing? I mean, Copilot Voice is definitely it. And a lot of the prototypes that we make end up sort of filtering out. Like now, I think I saw that the VS Code team was releasing something and GitHub is still working on, on I think, Copilot Voice. I'm not 100% sure where that's at. So I don't want to speak out of turn, but no, nothing specific that I can mention, just that Next is a small team. We're only 20 people at at full strength and, and there's so much stuff going on. We really have to sort of choose where we spend our focus. And so right now it's very much about that natural language angle and less about the multimodality. But look, just the other day, I actually used a chat. I had a screenshot with a bunch of text in it and I needed it as like, JavaScript strings, right? Because I needed to put it into an interface somewhere. And so I pasted it in and I was like, give it to me as an array of JavaScript strings and it worked. And so I have a hard time imagining that 
multimodality is not going to be a part of the future when it's so useful where it's just like, okay, take this interface, just like the make it real stuff that, that we saw at the top of the podcast, I made the rounds yesterday. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely going to be a part of like, I sketch things and tomorrow it, it turns into interface. So absolutely. Just one clarification. You said chat, you meant top copilot chat or do you mean LGBT? No, ChatGPT, Copilot Chat doesn't yet have like multimodality. Like it doesn't know how to deal with images. Uh, I wish we knew somebody at GitHub who can ask for that feature. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> on that topic, Dan, you guys are building and, and have been for a while, even before the explosion. I want to just be mindful of your time. I know you have to hop off. What can the community do to give you back? So I know that there's a Discord. Like how does uh, people provide feedback? How do they sign up with better features? Can you like plug this in real quick before uh, you have to drop off? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's the GitHub Next Twitter account. We definitely talk a lot about the stuff that we're doing there. There's the GitHubNext.com website. And yeah, the, the Next Discord, which is linked from the website. So GitHubNext.com, you'll be able to find out about all the things that we're putting out there. Even when they're rough, even when they're just like napkin sketches or prototypes, we love to share videos and show off the ideas that are in our heads. And I think that's probably the best place, but definitely join the discord and sign up for the various waitlists as we try to enroll more people to kick the tires. We're figuring stuff out. We don't know what's good until we build it and we put it into people's hands and then see how they're using it. So absolutely, please join all the things and help us help us figure out the future. You guys don't know, and then you build it, and then the developer community comes, and then suddenly it changes the world. So, Idan, thank you. It's, it's great having you as a friend. It's great having you on Thursday. I am really appreciative of your time. I know you have to go. Folks, you should follow Idan. For sure. Yeah, one last thing that if you want to say, go ahead. Thank you so much for having me, and absolutely, it's such an exciting time, and what a great podcast. So, thanks so much, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. You're always welcome. Friend of the pod from now on. So, folks, this was Idan. Idan leads the GitHub Next team at GitHub, the place where Copilot was born, basically. And now we all use it, or hopefully a lot of us use it. And they're doing some incredible stuff. Uh, I don't get, I'm not privy to any of the secret stuff, but I do know that, like, when they release some stuff, like the cutting edge of it, it's really fun to participate. So I've had uh, chat access, I think, since they announced it, and chat is definitely a great way to also interact with your tools. And obviously many other tools since then have built chat within them as well. And chat is coming for everyone. There's a bunch of other stuff on GitHub Next. Just worth following just for ideas as well. We know this industry is like all about imagination unlock. So definitely a bunch of imagineering happens in GitHub Next. Uh, follow Idan and Idan, you're always welcome to come back. And I think now we're moving forward to discuss some of the Microsoft stuff. And Idan, feel free to stick around if you can. If not, you, you feel free to drop off. But Microsoft yesterday had the Ignite week. So it's been crazy. It's been an insane two weeks. And we already covered some of the Microsoft stuff, but I want to cover some more now that we have a little bit more time. And sorry for the stress, Idan just had to go. So I wanted to grab him before he leaves. We had a slight time zone miscommunication, but that's fine. Basically, everything is co-pilot. Do you guys see this? Luigi, have you seen this? I don't know. Ray, maybe have you followed the Ignite news? I, I would love some folks to also chime in. Everything is co-pilot. Bing chat is now copilot.microsoft.com or, or something like that. And they're rebranding Copilot on top of everything. And it's a huge testament of how much Microsoft is betting the farm on AI. And they announced some crazy things yesterday. So I want to talk about them. I, I just want to see if folks on stage or in the audience, if you're into Microsoft stuff, if you want to raise your hand and come up. But folks on stage, do you have any insights into Microsoft Ignite or should I just go and cover what I have? Yeah, I know a little bit of, I didn't watch the full thing, but, you know, the 5.2 announcement, and which we already covered a little bit earlier. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people maybe didn't hear, they actually officially did a shout out with Misrule 
And it sounded like, I think they said they'll be offering misrule through their APIs or services now. So, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And it's a huge deal because so far, I think OpenAI was one of the only things AI related from Microsoft's kind of cloud services, right? And now Lambda is there, supposedly, if I'm not mistaken, Mistral, and obviously they announced Phi as well. VB, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to echo that point, right? So they essentially spun off their Azure marketplace, and that's, I think, pretty much the only way that, at least right now, you can access Phi 2 as well. And... As part of that, they also sort of came into some sort of agreement with the Mistral folks as well as Lambda folks and so on. So essentially, yeah, if you go on like Azure Marketplace today, like you can also like see Hugging Face models, some of like some curated Hugging Face models over there as well as like models from Hugging Face, not Hugging Face models and like Mistral and, and so on. So it does look like they're trying to either like hedge bets and just have like an alternative more permissive marketplace of sort but yeah it was interesting and it was also like something that i was sad about that they said that phi2 would be sort of open source quote unquote but uh, yeah it it turned it turns out that you can only access it via the the azure marketplace at least right now yeah that, that's been a bummer as well go ahead oh i was looking at they're releasing their copilot studio which basically lets, lets people build custom ai copilots i thought it was really interesting and yeah, definitely worth a chat. Copilot Studio is my next thing. Yeah, yeah. So what, what was interesting to you in Copilot Studio? Let's talk about this. I actually have not got to play with it yet. Uh, I was just like looking at the announcement and I was like, oh my gosh, because it got me thinking about so much of the chat GPT things. It's a little bit slow. And I'm not a Microsoft user, obviously having been at Apple forever, but slowly I'm creeping into the ecosystem and I haven't really got that set up yet. And I was just trying to wonder like what are the features or I think what they're going to charge for it and how that works with their whole ecosystem with like subscriptions and stuff. And if I have an open AI subscription, is that going to be okay? Or is that just not going to translate? I have to pay two different subscriptions. It's just a little confusing for me. Yeah. So, so to cover as, as far as I saw yesterday, there's a copilot for work and there's a copilot for 365, which is like basically office in the cloud and everything there, right? Like emails from Outlook and Excel and the copilot now speaks Excel. That was an incredible demo, right? Who, who here likes Excel? Raise your hands, lower your hands. No, you don't. You hate Excel. Everybody hates it. <laughs> People like have to use Excel, but nobody loves it. And now Copilot can write functions for you, Excel functions. And, and that's incredible. Like, compare some stuff. And so they announced like Copilot for both. And there's like a toggle now on top. The, if you are part of the Microsoft like 365 ecosystem, and many people are, many people like use Teams for this and then they use emails for that. I know there's the Google ecosystem that many startups are in, but definitely Microsoft is still having a huge, huge outside market share, right? The, the Slack versus Teams things where Slack came up and then Teams came out for like free and embedded. And now there's many more people who use Teams. And now Copilot is everywhere there. It's in the meetings. So you can ask it to transcribe and give you summaries of meetings. It's in your email. So you can like, it's in your scheduling thing. So you, you can pull up people's like schedules. It can pull up people's schedules for you and say, hey, these are the three people based on contacts that need to be there. They announced some, excuse me for the French, crazy shit where like Copilot is basically everywhere. And I love that they graduated and we've talked with Idan from GitHub Next before. I love that they graduated the concept of Copilot from just code. It's Copilot for basically your stuff, your life, your work, etc. And uh, the whole thing about being able to be very helpful for you in this, code is simpler, right? And even Idan, and we know from Cursor, we talked about 
the code suggester is better when it has access to the context of your code, when it has access to the whole repo and not just the code that it looks at right now. And obviously with larger context windows, that's possible. For work stuff, you need way more than this. You need access to your emails, you need access to your contacts, you need access to whatever. And so they built in all this into their platform with Copilot for work. And I think that's great because again, we're still not even a year in from Copilot, from ChatGPT releasing, right? We're still not a year in, it's in two weeks. November 30th is ChatGPT's like birthday, one year. It's crazy, right, Yam? I see you, I see you. It's insane. Like it's been just a week, just a month, uh, sorry, just a year. And Microsoft is basically betting the farm on all of it. Copilot everywhere, AI everywhere, as much as possible before, if you guys remember, the 600-pound gorilla that uh, Satya called Google before it wakes up, which we always talk about. We're still waiting for some stuff from Google. And uh, <laughs> we're still waiting. And uh, the Copilot Studio thing is the way to extend this. So this is why I found it interesting, Ray. Let me cover this for a little bit. Copilot Studio is their low-code tool to extend the knowledge of your Copilot internally, right? So it knows the Copilot by default uh, from Microsoft Copilot. It's really confusing now because I'm used to Copilot for two years, the one that autocompletes code. But now it's like the thing that lives everywhere and this Bing chat is now Copilot. So let's say that Copilot, the all Microsoft Copilot, it has access to everything within Teams, within Outlook, within Excel and, and Drive and whatever, all those things that I personally don't use. But sometimes you have stuff outside of it, right? You have HR stuff in other places. You have Salesforce, you have all these things. And so they came up with connectors so uh, Copilot Studios actually has, I think they said 1,100 connectors to different uh, sources outside. So the Copilot will be able to get access to information outside. And here's the kicker. Here's the most interesting part. And here we, we can talk about this, all of us together, is Copilot Studio is low-code, enables you to connect to any other resource that you can build without, so like IT people can do this without code. So you can like actually connect it to any API. You can connect it to anything. And the tiny thing they said that got me again, jaw on the floor, is they're working on an integration with GPTs. The feature that OpenAI released just now for us, and we, we should probably cover GPTs as well because it's been insane this week. The custom OpenAI GPT that you can build that has vectorized information and retrieval capabilities in search, etc. So now if you prepare this GPT, let's say, through this Copilot Studio of theirs, you'd be able to connect one Copilot to this other like AI. Basically, AI employees is how I, I feel about this. And they said this like briefly on stage. I haven't saw this yet, so I don't know how good it will be. But just imagining a full world of GPTs like running around the people built and then imagining like one copilot talking to another copilot or another AI. I think that's incredible. I think that's definitely where we're all going to end up. Our AI is going to talk. <laughs> My AI scheduler is going to talk to Idan's AI schedule next time. So we won't have this like difference in time zones that we had. And so he can only come up for a few minutes. And that's definitely where we're going. And Microsoft is fully on this. Let's do this. Let's build this in. And so the Copilot Studio was found incredible. Raj, you came back and hopefully, do you have comments on the stuff that we've talked about, Raj? Yeah. Uh, the Copilot stuff, Microsoft Indeed. stuff? I don't know. It's, it's glitching on me today. Spaces. So You're here with us now. Yeah, great. What's your take on this? Uh, yeah. So basically, as I'm in the Azure startup program, my, one of my ventures. And, and we have got some access on the co-pilot front. But one thing that I wanted to really highlight to people who are still trying to get to uh, GPT-4, and now it is currently on uh, a throttle basis and they are not uh, giving you any new new subscriptions. Copilot.microsoft.com, as Alex pointed out, is the right URL and you get access to everything. So we basically tried out a few things 
because we are working with some operate here arrangements and we wanted to supplement some of the GPT-4 limitations in terms of the amount of requests that you can send. And we have been quite successful. So it is capable of creating everything, creating images, taking image prompts, voice prompts. So practically almost 80%, 90% of functionality that you get with ChatGPT is now there on copilot.microsoft.com. So that's just for people who don't have access and practically you don't pay anything for that. So you just need a Microsoft login if you want to generate images and, and everything because uh, that uses the uh, being image creators still. And we had a talk with one of our one of our contacts in Microsoft, and they are currently porting most of the services to Copilot now. So even being image creator basically is going to come to Copilot, and it will become part of the Copilot ecosystem. That's awesome, and thanks for uh, giving us a, a brief look from inside. Uh, did you have access to some of the cooler stuff that they announced for Work in three sixty five? Uh, or not yet. Yeah, so uh, we were uh, developing uh, a workflow for the Power Apps. If, if you have used Power Apps before or you use Power Apps in, in any of your workflows, but we are creating a workflow which basically talks to an internal organizational database and then pulls the information based on the, the permissions, the cascading permissions, and bring it to Excel for creating the entire your Excel file with all the charts and everything, basically. And we implemented the entire thing using a copilot. So practically the coding is, or working with the actual mechanics of Power Apps is, is going to be out of the window. And you'll be working with basically a thought process system where you just put your thoughts in and the copilot will take care of structuring the entire solution for you. One of the things I noticed on the new copilot on the web, copilot.microsoft.com, is you can talk to it and it talks back. Right. So one of the things that I was missing from the OpenAI demo is on the on the mobile, you can talk. There's like a talk mode that like web connects you and it's super fun. We've talked about this on Thursday and multiple times. You can actually talk with the, the GPT-4 in voice. And on the web, for some reason, they didn't add this functionality, even though we know it's possible. Like we, we've seen other tools. And I just noticed this yesterday. The copilot, you can actually like on the web, you can click the microphone button, talk to it. And then I was really surprised they talked back to me. So it's really cool. And obviously it's powered by GPT-4 Turbo, I assume, and it has DALI and everything. So yeah. So folks, if you're in the audience and like some of the cooler stuff with GPT-4 got you like excited, but you aren't able to get in because Sam Altman closed the shutter and they're not accepting any plus members, I think for now, you're more than welcome to go to Copilot. Sorry, to Copilot. Yeah, to Copilot Microsoft now. Again, it's going to take us a second to get used to the fact that Copilot is everywhere now. It's not only code. And I wonder if we need to say GitHub Copilot when we mean uh, code completion. All right, so this covers just, the Microsoft just, stuff. And it's just, yeah, go just, ahead. A, just a bit of a fun. Uh, yesterday, we were, we were joking with, uh, with Microsoft on the call. And we said, is this the reason why uh, Sam has closed uh, ChatGPT so that everybody goes to Copilot actually? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we saw, I think, yeah, Satya came up on Dev Day to the stage and talked about like their integration with OpenAI. So I wouldn't be surprised if like they're helping each other even a little bit. So moving on from Copilot, I think the last thing that I wanted to talk about in this like big company LLMs and APIs thing is the OpenAI Assistance API. They released a cookbook. And so if you haven't played with Assistance API and you like having a trouble like getting started, OpenAI released a cookbook. In addition to all the videos from Dev Day that are not uh, publicly, you guys remember, you remember like you held space while I was running around between different sessions. They released videos for all those sessions. There's an actually a great video for how they're doing retrieval. 
And for folks who are doing RAG, that's, it explains more into like how they're doing retrieval with GPTs. And that's pretty, pretty cool to, to view as well. And so definitely check this out. So OpenAI released some more resources for us developers, and that's always great. And I think we're moving to, should we move to AI art or voice? It's a tough choice, folks, and we don't have that much time, but I think let's move to voice. I think we have VB here on stage and let's move to voice and then we're going to talk about some AI art as well. So first thing I want to cover in voice is this release of this new thing called Emoti Voice, where in addition to the fact that now OpenAI gives you text-to-speech from their APIs, and we have 11 Labs and PlayHD, like all these things, and obviously now Microsoft as Copilot is talking back to you, right? So it's very important to be able to generate voice and like super cool as well. Uh, so now we saw something called Emoti Voice, where actually it's not only generating voice based on text, it also does emotions, emotion synthesis. So Vibi, you, you said you can cover this a little bit as well. What do you think about Emoti Voice, how cool this sounds and how incredibly important it is to add emotions to your voices? Sure. I think uh, like one of the things that we need to understand first, like before like deep diving into Emoti Voice is if you look at the current like open source landscape for text-to-speech, it is quite limited, right? So that is primarily because of the lack of compute as well as the lack of data. And so, so if you look at like current open source options, there's Bark, there is Tortoise, and pretty much these two, which are sort of semi-usable, right? Each with its own, with its own demerits, right? Or like shortcomings and so on. And at the same time, like we have OpenAI TTS APIs, plus we have 11 labs and so on, all of which are like each better than the other. And we just don't have any sort of good uh, competitor to them, right? I think emotive voice is, is like a step in that direction. It's not there yet, but it, it's trying to sort of build on different sort of architectures that have been around. And what they did is they essentially used from last year, a paper which is called Prompt TTS, which essentially sort of adds the capability for you to prompt the model with certain characteristics of how the the output speech should be, right? So you can say that you can give like a persona to the model alongside what you want it to synthesize. So it would be something like, for example, a young man, happy. And then like you, you essentially give it like a string to synthesize. And then based on these like tokens at the start or like this prompt at the start, it essentially like conditions the output of the output sort of speech from the model on the extra prompt that you give at the start, right? And so I played around a bit with it and, and I think it's quite spiffy, it's quite fast. Of course, like the audio is not there yet just because they don't train on that much data, but you know, in theory, someone can take the similar architecture and just like, throw 50,000 to 60,000 hours of data and then it just performs at pretty much the same level as OpenAI TTS and so on. So what they have it's also, is... It's also multilingual, right? I think yeah, it's yeah. not Chinese and English as well. And the samples yeah. that I heard in Chinese or Mandarin, maybe because I don't speak it, they actually sound more emotive. Maybe they have better yeah, data they, in, in Mandarin. They use more data in, in, in Mandarin than in English because again, like in English, we don't have as much data available. And, but the beauty is that it, like when you like try to prompt it with like different emotions, it like, it really captures them quite well, right? And that's at a, that's at a very low resource level right now, right? So in, in terms of data, like it's trained on like very, like quite limited hours of data. I don't remember the exact amount of data set size, but you know, it just close to show that there's a lot of potential in this. And I, I, like my bet is that like 2024, 
we'll see crazy amount of stuff happening within like audio with like audio and text LLMs and text to speech stuff and text to music stuff and so on. I I am absolutely excited to see the developments in this because we saw we we had Kokri here and Josh from XTTS and we saw you can even run some of these almost line side. So great in order voice, check this out, folks. We're gonna put this in show notes afterwards. And the next thing that also Vibi is here to talk with us, and he's partly in charge of this. Vibi, you posted something about Whisper Three. So OpenAI very briefly mentioned on stage the release of Whisper Three. And they also did this with V2 last time. It's not really like a full release. They just kept training some stuff and like basically the same architecture, basically the same inference code, all these things. And I think it's only like the large model is V3 as well, if I'm not mistaken. It's not like all the models are V3. But now it's back on top of the open leaderboard in Hugin Face. So do you want to cover Whisper V3 and insanely fast Whisper in the same go? Because we, we keep talking about this every week. <laughs> Sure. Do you, do you mind putting the tweets up so that like people can... Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, perfect. So uh, let's start with the leaderboard, right? So what is what is Whisperlarge V3? So Whisperlarge V3 was recently released by OpenAI. It's essentially like the next version of Whisperlarge V2 and the Whisper series of speech-to-text models, right? Now, what what's different in Whisperlarge V3 is that Whisperlarge V3 was trained on 4 million hours of data, right? And out of which 1 million hour data was like actual paired speech and text data. And 2 million, uh, sorry, 3 million hours of data was essentially pseudo, was transcribed data from Whisper Large V2, right? So essentially 1 million hours of data, which is actual ground, like good quality data and like 3 million, which was transcribed by Large V2. And then they essentially trained on all of this 4 million hours data, right? And so first of all, straight off the bat, this is like the, I think the largest amount of data that a speech to text model has been trained on and so so that's that's the first thing second of all like what what we need to sort of see here in terms of the performance if you open the if you open the leaderboard which i think is the second tweet is that it is essentially by and large like on english language the best model available for speech recognition right and it, it is slow and like we made certain certain changes to make it like blazingly fast i can cover that in like a sec but what you need to sort of see here is that like whisper large v3 essentially tops the speech recognition leaderboard wherein we test all open access or well not all but like major open access speech recognition models on nine different data sets and these data sets are of different types so one is of for example accented speech, one is with noisy speech, and one is with uh, meeting transcription and so on, right? And so essentially, like, we calculate, like, how good a model is on each of these data sets, and then we average it pretty much, right? And so so those are the results, and I ran it, I re-ran it, I ran it, like, three times before actually publishing this yesterday. So I'm, I'm quite sure that this is how this fares quite well. We found, awesome. like, one, yeah, like, just go ahead, go one ahead. small thing. Which, which is that we found that as compared to Whisper Large V2, Whisper Large V3 is more prone to hallucinations. So in case like you have accented speech, then the model is more likely to, to transcribe it in some other language. So I saw a lot of examples of the model transcribing an English sentence, but with an accented speech to transcribe it in Arabic, for example. However, you can overcome it by explicitly setting like language and like language and the task. And if you do that, then you just get like, really small and really high performance and also um, if you want to yeah. if you want to transcribe what i think you said five hours 
in less than a minute or something? How how crazy is <laughs> like insanely fast whisper right now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so so right now you can so this is on a consumer hard, hardware. So if you you can transcribe something like one fifty minutes of audio in about seventy eight seconds right now, and if you scale it up on an A one hundred, like eighty GB A one hundred, then with flash attention you can transcribe something like three hundred minutes of audio in about ninety seconds, if I'm not wrong. And uh, yeah, there's like more coming on this front. Um, but essentially, like up until the time, like we were not able to essentially transcribe something like 300 minutes of data in less than a minute. Like I'm not going to stop. So don't, yeah. don't stop even there. I want full real time. I want to be able to speak here. <laughs> and then by the end of this, I won't have to wait until transcription comes. Thank you, VB, for covering this. Thank you for working on the, the, the benches as well. And the folks should definitely check out the, the leaderboards. Definitely, we talk about the, the open models leaderboards. We talk about, you know, the Hugging Face, the, where Capybara sits here. Hermes sits there. Like, we talk about the open model leaderboards often, but the Hugging Face has a bunch of them. We talked about the MTB leaderboard, the big embedding models leaderboard as well. And the VB and team, I think some other folks also work on bringing us the best model for everything, essentially, not only hosted, but also evaluated. And so it's great to see the whisper is back on. You mentioned English. I will just say that Spanish is almost perfect. There's less than 2.8% world error rate in Spanish. And so literally, if we, if we switch to Spanish, it will be perfect 100%. Whisper is that good, even the smaller models. So shout out to OpenAI also for open sourcing something. Yay, we love this. The, the more open source from OpenAI, the better I think for everyone. And so definitely Whisper 3, we're very happy with this, with the performance as well. I think this concludes the voice stuff, unless there's anything else and folks can maybe mention something, but I think let's move to Diffusion. Yeah, go ahead, Luigi. Go ahead. Yeah, it's not specifically the voice stuff we're talking about right now, but Google did have an announcement just recently. I think it was today or yesterday of a oh, yeah, music model that does involve your voice if you wanted to. You want me to talk a little bit about that or? Yeah, vo voice and audio is the same, yeah. Yeah, okay. So pretty much what they released, and I haven't delved too much into the details, but they have a nice little promo video for it. They have something where a model, you can pretty much hum to it, and it has some other features too. But the coolest thing I saw about it is you can pretty much hum a melody like, and then it just detects that audio. It has that file input, and then you can pick like whatever instrument or tell it you want that sound in a trombone or a piano or whatever. And then it'll actually generate a pretty realistic sounding audio file of that piano or a trombone actually doing that melody. And I think that alone that, is like really cool and a bunch of other features. That's super cool. That's super, super cool because the rumors that I heard about Gemini is that it's understanding multimodality, but not only, we talked about multimodality and we said multimodal input outputs is what GPT-4 is now because like it inputs on multimodal and outputs like images as well. It doesn't generate audio, obviously, but you can translate text to audio. I heard rumors about Gemini that it's multimodal to a point where, and I think Technium, we talked about this maybe a little bit when we met the same day <laughs> or the day after. This was the news party. Somebody like at this crazy party, somebody whispered to me that they actually saw Gemini and had experienced it. And it's coming and it's coming soon after some lawsuit stuff. And one of the things in there is it's multimodal on the input, but not like a voice to text multimodal. It understands if you sang, it understands that you sung to it. It understands the intonations, understands singing, understands all these things. And so definitely Google will release uh, pieces of this. Raja, I saw you have a comment just before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Just, just, uh, let me just let's say this one thing yeah. and then sure. one second, please. So 
I also saw this from Refusion, pinned on top. Refusion is this place where you can generate audio and voice and singing as well. And Luigi, when you told me about like the humming thing, I was like, it was this you talking about? It's not from Google. So they also released this, I think a day ago. Refusion has a thing where you can record to it. You can hum, you can say things, and it also generates the music. And it's also really fun to play with. So it's, it's pinned on the top of the space and I'll add this to show notes as well. Go ahead, Raj. Yeah, so the model that Luigi is talking about is called Lyra. Lyria, rather Lyria. So it's basically inspired by lyrics, basically. And I actually had, you can say, a privilege or something. I got introduced to somebody who is working in DeepMind Lab in London. And he is a Korean guy and he is actually working on this particular model. And we were talking about it. It was just a coincidence. I mean, I didn't plan anything or I didn't know or I didn't have any kind of inside news or anything, but it just happened by coincidence. I was in Neo4j draft conference and then I got introduced to this person. And, and he was talking about a model getting released. So probably he knew about the release, but obviously he couldn't talk about it. But the way they were talking about it is that you remember when I think it was Grime or someone who opened up the possibility of creating music using her music and then sharing the royalty. So yeah, Grimes did. Grimes yeah, Grimes, did, yeah. Uh, yeah. Voice so basically, voice, yeah. yeah. So Google has taken a page from her book, probably it seems, or the other way around, whichever way. But basically, what is going to happen is that you will be able to create music using any of the styles coming in from some of the artists that Google is collaborating with. And you'll be able to create videos on YouTube. You post the videos and a part of the revenue will go to you and a part of the revenue will go to the artist. So for example, you can create a, 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 a kind of a rap music in, in T-Pain style and using your own lyrics and, and stuff like that. And then it will appear on YouTube. And then the revenue that is generated from that will part of the revenue will go to you and a part of the revenue will go to T-Pain. Pain is going to continue getting paid throughout all of this and from these radio shows as well. That's awesome. Thanks, Raj. Thanks for bringing us additional details here. LDJ, uh, yeah, definitely voice and, and music and audio generation, like I think, is, is in the same area. And uh, Refusion, we probably also should add, is also super cool to play with. I think I added like a version of Refusion intro to some Thursday I recording before. Okay, so I think we're moving on to this like next exciting thing. And uh, yeah, go ahead. And then we're going to move. Sorry, I just got, my throat got stuck for a second. <laughs> yeah, so what, what I was going to ask is, earlier, so you were just talking about for a second, somebody told you about the Gemini and multimodal input and output. I was just going to ask real quick, did they also mention that it can also speak to you back? Or did they only mention that it can like understand the, the emotion of your voice? He said fully multimodal, and he gave examples of singing to it and it understanding like more than just text. So it's not just ASR, it's not like speech recognition only. I don't know if he mentioned speaking back to you with emotions, but you know, we just now today covered open source emotive voice. We now covered that GoPilot speaks to you. So I assume that will also be there. And he did mention this thing. And he mentioned that Google has a bunch of TPU infrastructure. A bunch. So Google is not like GPU poor. Google is not. Google is one of the GPU rich companies in the world, if not the hugest one. And they have basically untapped GPU infrastructure on which to run all of this. And so apparently that's also coming on top of that. And, you know, they're going to be fine is basically with this model. Now, whether or not they'd be able to do a Microsoft and shove this into every product ever and actually do this and Google Assistant is going to be great will remains to be seen. 
But yeah, Gemini is coming. It's ready. It's just waiting. That's basically what I got from those rumored rumored conversations. And I will say shout out to News Research again, because that happened during Grimes' set on the news party, which was incredible. And so definitely those are the type of conversation you can expect next year if you get invited. I, I hope I get invited back to the next one. All right, we'll, we're going to move on to this insanity that happens. And I don't know, we, we don't often cover AI art, but let's cover AI art for a second, because Twitter is ablaze, folks. There's a new thing. It's called LCM. Uh, latent consistency model. And I don't know if you saw this, but if you haven't, there is a, actually, that's how it started. Somebody who I don't remember the, the name of, they released a video where they draw like a digital, we talked with TL Draw folks, like they digitally draw some shapes and then on the left pane and on the right pane, there's like a stable diffusion type AI art generation that's almost real time. So as you draw, it updates. And as you draw some more, it updates. And then you can move those shapes, right? Imagine like a sun and some grass. You can move the sun from left to right. And you can see it move from left to right almost as an animation thing. And then my my friends from Crea, who I called here, they couldn't be here. They actually released this in their product, Crea.ai. Shout out to Vic and uh, I forgot the other guy. Yeah, shout out to, to the guys from Crea because they immediately also built this. They saw the, the kind of the insanity. And I think they talked about real time before. And so what we're really talking about here, and it's been to the top of the space from Martin, is real-time diffusion generation where the input is not a prompt. It's not like DALI that you like type. Actually, DALI is multimodal now on the input as well, so you can upload the picture. But basically, you can draw. And as you draw, it draws with you, but like with the same prompt that you give it. So it's like a input of a drawing plus a prompt. So you can say, instead of the sun in the sky and grass, you can say like a cat and something else. And then the little circle that you have on the left that you interact with is going to be like drawn as a cat at something. And it's incredible. And because, okay, so we got two of these examples, right? We got this one after another, LCM, latent consistency model, basically a real-time drawing kind of capability with diffusion models. Again, stable diffusion was dropped a year and a, and a few months ago. DALI is just like fairly recent as well, or DALI is probably a little bit before. And now we're getting this to real-time it's real time, folks. You draw and it draws with you. And it's really fun to play with. And if you haven't, Crea is a little hard to get into right now because their GPUs are burning. There are folks from FAL also. They host a bunch of models as well. So shout out to FAL. They released like a free demo. I will find and pin this in the show notes. Actually, I have this here. Let me see. It's from Gorkem. I'll go find this. But it's really fun to play with. Even if you're not an artist, even if who of us aren't an artist, now we have DALI access. But even if you've never drawn anything, this is like one of the coolest things. And I think comparing to the, to the TL Draw folks, one of the most compelling things about this demo is that it's real time. And you actually, as you draw, you see results. Where with, with TL Draw, as you draw some shapes, you do visual, and then you see results. And I think those things are just like so compelling. And I'm going to go find this tweet for you so you guys will be able to do this, to see this with me live and actually play around with this. Gorkem. Give me just a second. I'll pull this up. And yeah, I can't find it. Yeah, go ahead. And like I give a very quick link to Vic Poe's post where he has posted the video that you're talking about, the LCM video. And also just wanted to say that if you can't get into Kriya's trial, you can actually spin up a workspace on Hugging Face using a model called LCM Dream Shaper. So you can look up on Huggy Face and this model actually does, it's a latent, basically LCM stands for latent, latent uh, cons consistency model. 
and uh, it does the LoRa compression to do that. So from technical point of view, and and you can spin up an inference API very quickly. It doesn't cost you much, but you can experiment with that. So just want yeah. To add. So so uh, my friend. So definitely, Kriya and shout out to Vic and his co-founder. Again, who I completely forgot his name, so sorry for that. But also, Gorkin from Foul, I just in their tweet, they're working on uh, this demo for free, basically, and you can go and you can test it out and it's super, super fast. And we've talked about Foul before on the last Thursday. I don't know if we talked it or just in the newsletter. They released a version of full stable diffusion. Those of you who follow, you remember like there was a stable diffusion distilled called SSD1B or something that's like, six times smaller and five times faster. So that's a distilled version, and that's also very fast. Sal released a stable diffusion Excel model that runs under three seconds as well. But now they're doing this in almost real time. And if you haven't played with this, I really encourage you to, to, to play with this. And looking at this demo in the comment, it's actually using TLDRAW or Excalidraw, I guess their competitor, to do this like AI demo to draw these things. So we're getting like real-time code generation and components generation. We're getting real-time image generation. We're very close to real-time voice as well with, with VB, who just dropped. And I find it incredible that we have this thing in, in the same week, basically. So LCM, definitely check this out. Another thing that's cool in the AI art that we saw recently, you guys know Runway ML. I don't know if uh, many of you from our audience, Runway ML does like cool video stuff. Incredible company, incredibly innovative. They released a teaser of a feature, and I don't know how I can get those teasers to play with them to be more excited. They released something called the motion brush, where you can upload an image, and then you can like brush over just the, the stuff that you want animated, and then only that stuff will be animated. I think it used to be called a cinemagram or something like that previously, and now you can generate this with AIR, just complete the pictures and animate that, that one little piece. So definitely, that's also super, super exciting. I haven't seen this in a while yet, but the amount of production that's going to change is also very, I should stop using the word exciting, amazing, incredible, important, fast moving, all these words. Okay. So this is the AI art and diffusion. I think we covered most of it. The next part you'll hear is an interview with Steve and Lou from TL Draw. They came on the pod very quickly due to time constraints in the beginning. And actually I'm going to add this part here for you. And it's a great interview with an incredibly viral demo that is now everywhere online. And when I saw this, I had to record a live reaction video, and that video is actually sent with the newsletter. So you're welcome to check it out. And I bring you Stephen Liu from TL Draw. All right. So Steve and Lou, right? Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. Hey. Hey, guys. So hey. one of the craziest things that we had, actually, is by at least from my personal experience, was the stuff that the guys from TL Draw released. And we're lucky to have both of them, Steve and Lou, up here on stage. And I posted a video about this. I, I had to do a live reaction. I had to. It, it was just like so incredible. <laughs> and uh, you guys I, saw it, right? I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. wonderful. And basically, I'm not going to say anything about this besides adding it to the top of the tweet. And you guys can tell us. First of all, you did this like super fast. And then I asked for something. And then you pushed the, 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 the fix super fast way to hide the keys as well so what maybe let's start easier what's TL draw for folks who don't know what's TL draw yeah so TL draw is like an unbundling of the canvas uh like an infinite canvas component that you might find in an app like figma or like miro but basically TL draw is like, it's essentially like just the canvas that you can build from so as a kind of a glorified demo there's tldraw.com which is pretty popular in its own right. It's like a zero friction. You can't even log into the thing. It's like a whiteboarding collaborative whiteboard. 
that you can go, you can diagram, you can draw, invite people. We have a really great low latency multiplayer backend, all that stuff. But if you did want to build something yourself that uses this kind of infinite canvas modality, then rather than having to build it from scratch, which let me tell you is a nightmare, you could just build on top of teal drive, extend it, white label it, put your own stuff on the canvas, et cetera. And the other kind of big thing about TealDraw is that the canvas itself in TealDraw is like normal website stuff. Like it's like a React DOM situation. It's HTML and CSS all the way down, uh, which is weird for a kind of a graphical looking canvas thing, but it, it makes a lot of sense when you think of what people are using this for, which is often more, I want to put interactive things on the canvas. I want to put iframes on the canvas. I want to put my own customer data on the canvas. And in that respect, it's just, it can do things that you just can't do anywhere else. And, and that's part of what made this little AI thing so, so interesting is that, yeah, it, it took advantage of some of the magical properties of our, our weird internet-based canvas to, uh, yeah, in ways that, that we had never done before. So as we talk about the AI thing, so folks of First AI who joined, welcome, Stephen, welcome to Draw. You guys are new to First AI. I haven't seen you here before, but welcome. You're now friends of the pod officially. And we're here to talk about AI every week. We started on March 14th. March 14th was the race of GPT-4. And one of the craziest announcements during that announcement back then was Greg Bachman on stage showing like a drawing he did, like on a napkin of a UI thing. And then he showed it to GPT-4, the vision back then. And then GPT will like spit out uh, some code, right? And last week and a half or two weeks, I don't remember, time flies like super fast. They actually released this via API. And so can you walk us through how it started from there until what you built and what you actually built and how cool this was? I would yeah, yeah, love sure. to hear the process. Yeah, thanks, Gabriel. So, so obviously, like, we're always sort of keeping an eye out for what people are building with TealDraw. It's like Steve says, we have a, an app out there, tealdraw.com. But that's really our demo. That's not our product. That's us showing off what you can do with it. People enjoy it as an app as well, but you know, we're also looking at what people are using TealDraw to build. And so we saw Sawyer Hood, I think his handle is just Sawyer Hood, made this little real quick demo with TealDraw, draw a UI wireframe, and then turn it into a fully, fully fleshed HTML website with the new GPT-4 Vision API. So this got a lot of attention and we were really pleased to see that TealDraw was the library of use for this. But as Steve said, like one of the exciting things about TealDraw is that you can just put stuff on the canvas. So this initial demo, what it did was open up a modal and then you have like pop-up website. And I think I was just begging Steve to let me, can I please put this on the canvas? So that then you can manipulate, annotate, and just mess around with what you've made. So spent half a day making that. The, so the big change that I, I did from Sawyer's initial version, which was just incredible demo in it and head start, was to allow you to put what you've made or what the AI has made back onto the canvas and then be able to move it around, draw on it and resize it and things like that. And I guess ever since then, the, the response has just been crazy, been absolutely crazy. For me, um, one of the craziest things in all this was just the interactivity that you put like an iframe in there and you click into this and the fields are editable. And you don't expect this from a drawing app. You don't expect like HTML interactivity. At least I didn't expect this. And so just to walk folks through, anybody who didn't see the make real type thing on TL Draw, 
TLDRI is a, like a canvas, whiteboarding canvas type application. Many people use. I saw this in many presentations as well. People do like quickly uh, jot down some notes for presentations. And now with this make real button that you've added, which we're going to talk about the name Lou as well, you can whiteboard some UI elements, basically just draw boxes and then type things. It looks like an input, looks like a button. And then you select all of this and then you hit this like magical make real button. And then you wait not that long. It's super, super quick, especially if you use your own key, right? <laughs> Lou, we're going to talk about like how, how you guys spent your API keys on this as well. Yes. Yeah, sure. And then you get back a window, which has an iframe, which is basically like a, like an interactive piece of an AI UI element that GPT-4 has with vision. It saw where you drew and it redrew this. And then you can get to play with this. And all happens within a second. I think, Lou, the, the, the last thing that you said, I think is the most important here, at least for me. Yeah. You're able to interact with this on the canvas. And then you're able to draw this again. And just mind-blowing demo. Kudos to you guys, really. Like, I, my, my jaw is still somewhat on the floor from me. I haven't collected it yet because I'm just thinking about all the times in my professional career as a, as a software developer, as a front-end engineer, how many times I drew something on the whiteboard and then how many days it took me to get to a prototype of something like this, like a component. And here it took me like three seconds. With yeah, this is, how, this is how we work here at Teal Draw. Like we're, we're building this editor, this interactable whiteboard. We always draw. We draw when we're trying to ex communicate to the rest of the team. When we submit a PR or an issue, we, uh, we share a picture. We share a diagram. That's just how we talk to each other. It's only when we sit down and go to the computer that, or like nowadays, I sit down, I type something, hoping to prompt Copilot, or I'm hoping to prompt ChatGPT to help me out. And it's frustrating that I have to translate that into text. So for me, this initial demo that Sawyer first made and, and now we're just playing around with, it's only been like two days. We've only worked on this for two days. What it really excites me about is, oh my God, I can't go back now. I go to ChatGPT and, and I want to ask it something. And it's frustrating that I can't just draw a diagram. I can upload a picture, but then I can't draw on that. I don't know what, I'm sure everyone here uses ChatGPT for all sorts of reasons. I ask it the, quest, the stupid questions. I, I upload an image of, I don't know, I had to fix my oven a while back, right? I had to fix my oven. So I took a photo of the inside of the oven and I asked it, what is that bit there, which looked broken, right? I said, what is that bit there in the top left of the image, slightly to the right behind the other thing? It's so clumsy. I just want to point at it, right? I just want to point at it. And so I am really excited to see how we can just, how we can just use drawing scribbles and this back and forth. So I'm really keen. That's what I'm interested in. I, and that's what I'm really keen to sort of learn from your listeners about how they see this going. Like, what is the next step of this? Because I think that making a UI is, is a fun example. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So that, that's what I'm really keen to, to hear from you and, and, and all your listeners as well. Absolutely. So for everybody who's just joining us, we're talking with TL Draw, Lou from TL Draw, and we had Steve before, and TL Draw just added like AI magic, and it just we all were blown away by this. And Lou, I think one of the coolest things about this whole thing is how fast we're moving, right? Like uh, OpenAI Vision APIs were released a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. And the last week, we covered everything that OpenAI released for that week. We covered the Assistance API, we covered everything. And one of the things about Vision is 
it takes a second. Like it needs a hackathon. It needs like products like you building us in. It needs all these things. And the demo was just like mind blowing, not only because you're now able to do this and actually like create components, but also because it imagination unlocks for many people what's possible. And so thank you for that. Thank you for opening this imagination. Thank you for Soyuz, I think you said, and thank you for attributing them as well. Wait to see what you guys do with this more. And just for the audience, it's not the usual kind of Thursday. I think usually we can update about stuff here. I had the luck to, to for Lou and Steve to just agree to come up real quick and just highlight their demo because I, as I said, still collecting my job from the floor. And I definitely think that you guys should play with this and then give the old draw feedback. I, maybe looking, can you tell us like what form of feedback and how people can send it to you? And, but definitely people should try the make real button. It's like, it's magical. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I, I have to head off soon, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say it's been incredibly useful to see uh, video clips of people using it. We have a whole list of things that we've noticed that people are struggling with or just slight friction with the editor. Like we, we've spent a lot of time on this, but you know, there's always more we can, we can improve. We just want this to be the best way of doing this kind of interaction and collaboration really. So keep sending us clips, images of what you make. We're, we're interested in what works well. We're interested in what doesn't work well as well. So, and yeah, and I'd also encourage you, this is open source. There's the repo. I think it's in, in a lot of the tweets that have gone out. This is open source. This uses the TLDRAW library. You don't have to use ours. You can just make this as well. So we're also interested in hearing feedback about how you get on with making your own version. We've made this make real, make UI thing. What else could you make with the TLDRAW library by just hooking it into GPT Vision? So we're really keen to, to hear that. I appreciate you giving us the shout out and giving us this platform to you. To, I, uh, I appreciate you guys message. joining real quick and, and coming up and, and talking about this and also obviously the demo. But the fact that TLDRAW is a platform and people can build with Vision like different things, it doesn't have to be like scribbles to HTML. My, my quick feedback, Lou, is that I would love a custom mm -hmm. prompt that I can send so that you Tailwind, for example, I would love to customize what I send into the machine so to get like specific things from me back. That would be incredible for me to just yeah. play around. I am pleased to say that there's someone in the office right now who's trying to, <laughs> trying to make that happen. We're trying to move very fast. So yeah, we, that's like a really good point. I appreciate everyone who's told us that. It hopefully comes soon. <laughs> awesome. Everybody should check out the old draw. Uh, Lou, thank you for joining us. And uh, we expect to hear from you thank soon. You. If you have another like huge breakthrough like this, definitely know that Thursday is a great place to come and talk about this. We love announcing something and also have the people who worked on the announcement also join us and talk about this. Thank you so much for joining great. us. And I appreciate yeah, it. yeah, stick around okay. if you can. All right, folks, welcome back from this like three seconds. I used to do this more. I need to add more sounds. Welcome back. You're on Thursday I, which is a weekly space and the newsletter and a podcast afterwards. Hosted by yours truly, Alex Volkov. From starting from this week, I'm an AI evangelist with weights and biases. I shout out Morgan in the audience. I see you, and I see many other folks as well. And it's been my incredible, absolute privilege to host these every week. And you know what? Today, somebody came up to me and then said, "We looked at the calendar, and the next week is actually Thanksgiving, and on Thursday." And they said, "Oh, we should do this. We should do that." I was like, "No, I'm busy." But, and they said, well, there's no work on Thanksgiving. I said, well, there is Thursday I. Thursday I is every Thursday. It doesn't matter. If anything, the people who can't come to the live Thursday I on regular schedule Thursdays because they're busy, they'll be able to join even more. So next week, look out for a special Thanksgiving episode. I'll be saying thanks multiple times on stage then. So definitely join us next week as well.
Thursday Eye is coming to you live every Thursday. But then if you can't make it or if you're driving or if you want to like listen to the part that you haven't been able to listen to, it's going to get released as a podcast today. So I'm hopefully going to be able to edit all of this. And we've been here since GPT-4 released March 14th. We have multiple folks in the audience, um, sorry, multiple folks on stage who are experts in their fields. So shout out Technium, so LDJ and Yam, the ML people, uh, Ray and uh, Nissan joins. We talk about uh, like from the consumer perspective and the AI development perspective. Raj, I think, does everything. So educated guest is his nickname. Thank you, Raj, for joining us as well. And uh, many folks in the audience who come up. We previously, in the first hour of this, we talked with Idan Gazit from GitHub Next. So if you're interested about a Copilot and Copilot's future in GitHub, that's a great conversation. I wish we had more time and we had some scheduling concerns. And again, as I said, I wish I had an agent and they, Idan had an agent that they would talk and I wouldn't miss it, but that's fine. And Idan will come back for sure. And so the next thing I want to cover is agents because a lot has happened with agents. And uh, basically last week, and we've talked about this a little bit, but last week, I guess two weeks ago, time flies. No, exactly 10 days ago, it was November 6th. I came out with GPTs on stage. So actually, OpenAI's dev day was incredible in many regards. But the, I think one of the coolest things they did for non-developers was the release of GPTs. GPTs are basically versions of ChatGPT that you can uh, create. Anybody can create. It's super easy. You can use the GPT builder, or they call it builder GPT, to create them. So you can conversationally create them, which is also incredible. And then the most important thing about them, you can send the link to them, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your audience, to whatever. You can send the link. And so I actually have created one. I think it's in the show notes as well. It's called the Visual Weather GPT. And LDJ, I, think, I guess now we can talk about this. I, uh, I bleeped it out of the past thing. When you get access to the old tools, GPT, before the OpenAI Dev Day, we tried to play with a bunch of, you remember, right? There was like a three-hour space that we had. And you try yeah, yeah. on behalf of all of us to play around with all the different features. If you remember some of the cooler uh, multi-tool examples, uh, feel free to bring them up because uh, we played with a bunch. I think browsing we did. Go ahead. Yeah. So one of the first ones I remember doing, I was just testing how much or how large of a PDF can it actually, if it reads it or if it does something differently. And I was pretty much able to upload a 100-page PDF and I made sure to even change the file name so I couldn't cheat by looking at that. And then I asked it something like, what's on page 73 about this or something that's only specified on some random page. And it was able to do that pretty much perfectly. And then I was able to tell it to generate an image of a capybara in the style of a Disney Pixar movie. Or <laughs> Those are two different companies, but <laughs> you know what I mean. And then yeah. when it generated that capybara, then I was able to actually just pull an image from Google of a skateboard. I uploaded that image to the chat and then I just told it, hey, can you add the object from this image? to the image with the capybara and make it look like the capybara is holding it. And then just complex things like that is able to do and have multiple uploading and generation within the same convo. So we really geeked out on this concept of multimodal input and outputs. I've been trying to push this, folks. If you see MMIO somewhere, as it refers to multimodal, we're giving Thursday I, it came from that space with, with Luigi. And one of the things that I came up with and asked Luigi to do is, hey, let's use real-time data real-time data from the internet using the, the browsing functionality of, of uh, the old tools mode. This was before GPTs. And to actually marry it to something else, like a tool. And so we did DALI. And so one of the things I came up with, hey, look, let's look up weather. We also tried uh, uh, sports scores. That worked very well, right? And we actually generated uh, on-the-fly an image. So fast forward, OpenAI releases this, tells everybody, just 
about this incredible new old tools mode that not many people love, but some people really love. Uh, it tells it, Sam just like, like just skips over it. Like, yeah, by the way, we combined the tools for you. And here we are like, no, this is incredible. This is like generality one-on-one basically. But then they said, hey, now not only can you ask GPT to do all these things together in the old tools mode, you can package this into a GPT, give it a name, give it a branding, give it custom instructions, give it custom information so it could do retrieval, give it tools like code interpreter so it can write and execute code, give it tools like DALI, give it tools like, I think, Bing search, real-time like information search. And I think that's most of the tools. Oh, no. And you can add actions as well, right? So you can connect it to your own services via APIs and it can learn for you, which is basically their, their next iteration of plugins. And then you can package all this and send it to your friends. And it's super, super simple. And so for the past week and a half, I think I've built three GPTs a day. Like truly, I think I've built three GPTs a day. One of the things that I built is the visual weather GPT that we started uh, playing with in, in that space with Luigi. And that's been great. I don't know if you guys follow some of the stuff that I reposted. Literally, you can go to chatg.pt, which is a short URL. Shout out to Stephen Tay from Vercel who built us the URL shortener for GPTs and also an analytics engine so you can see how many people actually use your GPTs and uh, slash art weather. And I'll post it to show notes as well. And then you can just type a name of a city that you're in and then it will give you the weather and they will draw the weather as like real time. And so you literally get like a one-to-one art piece based on your current weather and super, super cool. One of the secret tips that I can give you as the creator of that GPT, as its father, as its dad, <laughs> uh, is that you can, in parentheses, besides your location, just say the style of the things that you want. And so, for example, last week was Diwali and happy Diwali for everybody who celebrated. You could add, like, hey, add Diwali kind of themes to this. So you not only get like a, a visual weather kind of real-time image that you can send to your friends, you can get a theme. So if you're thinking about next year, uh, ne- next week's like Thanksgiving, things you want to send to your friends, if you feel free to, to use my GPT. But the whole concept is it took me less than three hours after I had the concept to create this. It's that simple. I actually had a tweet of mine that gave feedback a little bit to OpenAI because the custom actions that you can use, which is basically a way to connect that custom GPT of yours to external services. That's not super straightforward yet. I'm hoping OpenAI folks will solve this soon. That's not super straightforward. There's some issues there. But otherwise, it's incredible. It's incredible. I've seen multiple GPTs, kind of people build them for their purposes. I've seen people build GPTs for books. Literally, take a book, download it, move the EPUB file. Well, hopefully legally download it. Yeah, but you know how this goes. And then, by the way, just a tiny thing on that note, OpenAI also released a privacy shield or copyright shield. So if somebody tries to sue you based on the GPT's generation, their lawyers will go to court for you. So go crazy. <laughs> but basically, you, you download the book, you upload it to the uh, retrieval system within a GPT, and then you have a GPT assistant for a book. And if you're reading a book that's like complex, you can talk to it. You literally can talk to a book and look up some stuff that you noted, like all these different things. Alex McCaw from Reflect uh, and Clearbit, he released the beginning of the Infinity Guide. So previously, he had a website. He built a whole-ass website for helping with Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch, I think. And that's like a very complex book with a lot of like insights, etc. And he built like this whole website. And now within three minutes, because he had all this information, he released the GPT with Beginning of Infinity. And so here you are in 2023, almost 2024, reading a book, and then you have a GPT dedicated for that book for your conversations as well. 
And uh, yeah, uh, you want to give this comment? Uh, I see your DM. You want to come up and, and say this? Oh, I had just been told somewhere that uh, the copyright shield, it's not actually for like consumers, that it's only applied to enterprise uh, customers. So I don't, I don't know. I don't have the source on that. So somebody might need to check on that. But I just thought I'd note that in case. So, so you're saying don't go nuts just yet, folks. Let's make sure you're protected. So don't upload books that you don't have copyright to. But as a concept, that thing, I think, is really powerful. So I imagine that most books will come with a private link to a GPT at some point. But also the thing that we mentioned before, the, the studio, the co-pilot studio from uh, Microsoft will add you, will allow you to connect your co-pilot to different other GPTs. And I think that's going to be also very incredible. The last thing that I want to note on this is that multiple people are releasing GPTs. It's super fun. If you haven't tried one, it's really easy. Literally just try it. You have to own uh, GPT plus uh, 20 months of, uh, twenty dollars a month subscription. But other than that, you just go, you click create, and then you do it, and then share it with us. We'll have to see custom GPTs as well. OpenAI is going to release a marketplace for this very soon. And so they will do revenue share as well. We don't know the price. We don't know anything. But we do know that there's an ability to run your agents on OpenAI's platform via assistance API. We've covered this before. And GPT is like the... UI version, and they're not the same. We've talked about the differences as well last, last time. So just briefly, assistance is via code, and you can uh, create them via code, and you can use assistance in your own um, products. And GPTs are not accessible via API. They have different features. They have browsing. They have DALI generation, so they can return images, and you can share them with friends, and they're free. So you as a creator, you don't pay for it. No matter how much gigabytes you upload, no matter how whatever, OpenAI pays for all of this, right? Obviously, we've talked about this since the start of Thursday AI. OpenAI also gets a bunch from it. Imagine how much use cases they get from people creating GPTs like crazy. Imagine how much RLHF or how many different fine-tunes. And we do think that some of the creations fine-tunable GPTs. Imagine just how much of that they're getting from people just getting excited about use cases. They're stepping into agents in a big way. And so definitely a shout out. If you have a GPT to share with us, and if you haven't tried any visual weather, it's a great one for you to try, but other ones as well. And honestly, the one thing that I had from this week to, to summarize this whole thing is we're inching towards the time of just-in-time software with these GPTs. It's As I was creating some, in my head, when you go on a website, you don't think, hey, I can build this website myself, right? But you go to a GPT that somebody else built and it doesn't really know the stuff that you wanted to know, but it's like a good concept. You, you will be thinking, hey, I could create this for myself plus my knowledge. And actually, they're going to introduce a remix button that somebody already found in code. So you'd be able to remix somebody else's GPT for your own data, for your own privacy, uh, etc. And I think we're coming to a, a point where a software will be created for you as you need this versus at least some amount of software, not like the super complex stuff, right? Obviously, I work now at Weights and Biases. You will not be able to create Weights and Biases with the prompt. It's a whole, many people work on this product and many people use this, give feedback. Like a process of a product development is a very iterative, very long process and you need like a bunch of folks to give feedback to. Also, shout out uh, to folks who use Weights and Biases, give me feedback, I'll pass it on. But it's a very iterative and long process. So not all software will be created on the fly, but some of it will. And so GPTs are like this first smell things of the just-in-time software that we have. And I find it very incredible. Folks on stage, have you created a GPT? Raj, go ahead. And then anybody else that want to chime in, feel free. Yeah, three things to add, actually. So some of our clients actually asked us to create GPTs for them. So we are not going to go into that as a profession. We are doing it for 
for our own benefit. And we are creating some new things that we'll share, Alex, through you. They are pretty exciting. We are getting some really good results. So once it is ready, we'll share with the world. It's going to be open. But that's a very good business model if somebody wants to pursue it because a lot of organizations are looking for creating GPTs for their own internal consumption. So we created these for their internal consumption. So people are already using ChatGPT and they wanted to create GPTs. So there is a very good business case and use case there. And there are three things that have happened which are really mind-blowing and really interesting on GPT front. One is the OpenAI specification. So OpenAI spec- open API specifications. So basically open API is through which you can declare your APIs if you're opening your data to the world. And this, so basically what you can do is you can build a GPT on any API that is available and open to the world. So that starts with any of the weather APIs to Yahoo stocks, to Google finance, to any API that is conforming to open API specifications you'll be able to uh, build a GPT on that. So that's basically uh, opens up a whole new world in terms of the possibilities. The second one is in terms of the enterprise GPTs that I was talking about. We got multiple clarifications, not only from OpenAI, but also from Microsoft team when we are working with them in terms of the authentication. So now we are being able to run an authenticated session within the GPT. So that is something new. And that basically protects the, the data from leaking outside. So that's the, that's the second part of it. And third part is that from the GPT, you can actually call the plugin. So if you want to, if you want to access some of the functionalities which are provided by the current plugins on chat GPT, you can actually integrate somebody else's plugin into your GPT and leverage that to gain the results in your GPT. So these three things are very powerful, extremely powerful. Uh, making GPT probably the next the next uh, app store boom, let's say. I feel this strongly. I did feel this also about plugins, and plugins did not really catch uh, product market fit per, based on Sam uh, Altman. So I'm very excitable. I get excited about innovation, and so GPT is definitely innovation. I feel the viral nature of this already, like how many people picked up my GPT. Nick Dobos is a friend of ours as well with Greenmore. Like many people just pick up those things, and they're shareable. And I think I definitely agree that it's a very interesting play by OpenAI. Marketing there is genius. Remember AutoGPT, all these things, they basically, uh, OpenAI basically reclaimed the marketing speak of GPTs. It's basically theirs now again. So everybody who like did the GPT based on the wrapper, now GPTs are a thing. It's a marketing thing. We have breaking news, folks. I, I love breaking news. I don't have the the necessary sound bites for breaking news, but imagine I like doing like a horn or something. Oh, actually, maybe I do. Um, maybe, do, yeah, I have this one. Did this work? I don't know if this works. Never mind. We have breaking news. If you look on the top of the computer, uh, thank you, Race. I, I need this as well. Meta is releasing, or at least sharing advances in generative AI research, EMU video, and EMU edit. They have new models. I don't know if they're going to release them open source, but wow, does that video look super, super cool. So Meta's EMU is their image generation that they've announced recently that works within their like assistants as well. So their assistants are running Llama, which is super cool. I actually had a chance to talk about it yesterday, this event in Denver. They're running Llama for like two billions of people, and it's not yet super, super useful, I guess, for many folks, but it generates images like DALI does, but with their own system called Emo. And now they're releasing Emo video, which looks very cool. And obviously, we've seen some examples of this before, of text to video, Runway ML, we just like covered Runway as well. They did the brush thing, but the videos from Meta, at least from the 
I'm reacting as I'm speaking, right? Uh, Junaid, thank you. They should, I love breaking news. You sent me this. They published this two hours ago, just as we started Thursday I obviously. So definitely worth checking out. We're going to play with this if it's available. But the editing is super cool. You can remove stuff. You can remove uh, details with text. So you can type what you want to remove, and then it removes it for you. And I think, Luigi, you mentioned something like this with visual... Uh, tools, right? With Lava tools or something. We talked about this just briefly where you can talk to it and then remove some stuff. Yeah, not not with video, but there's a, it's called Lava Interactive. That's the model name. And yeah. you can pretty much upload an image or you can even actually have it generate an image. And then you can tell it, hey, I want this part modified. And then like within the interface, you can actually just outline like roughly the part you want modified. And then you tell it and then it interacts with you and can modify it however you want, et cetera. So it looks like that's also not for video, the edit thing. So there's two separate things that were announced, Emu Video, which generates video from text, and Emu Edit that edits images with text. So you can like type whatever you want, remove the tail, give ears bigger, et cetera. You can do that with DALI as well, interface, because DALI understands everything. So you can do this. One tip for you guys, if you don't know this one, use the name seed, the word seed. So when you talk to DALI and you want to edit a thing, just type in, in your prompt using the same seed and then the comment that you want to edit. Edit this up, uh, do this. It will preserve the same seed of generation. You'll get a very similar picture like that. So now it looks like uh, Meta released this. And if we know Meta and we know Meta, Likely some of this will end up in open source, which is great for everyone. And I have more updates, but folks, it's been two hours. It's been a very quick two hours. I'm still not fully set up here with the audio equipment, but hopefully you'll hear more and better interactive things. I want to, again, say how absolutely thankful I am for, and I'm going to do this in Thanksgiving next week. So definitely check out next week's Thursday, 8.30 a.m. Pacific. But I'm super thankful for all of my guests here on stage. Raj, thank you. Ray, thank you. Yam, thanks for joining us again. And hopefully next week we're going to talk about more open source stuff. And so definitely check out what's going on and what's new and tell us about this. Luigi, as always, it's great having you as a co-host as well. Technium, thanks for joining us on stage and speaking. Yeah, I think you spoke like once before, but now we've met in person and now you don't have a choice. You're a friend of the pod. And with that, folks, I will play us out, but it's been my absolute privilege to host you this week. I'm Alex. I'm now an AI evangelist and Weights and Biases. I could not be more excited about this. It's my new thing. And yeah, we'll have some more Weights and Biases content in the newsletter as well, uh, probably podcast at some point as well. And I will be doing this for start. And so you're welcome to join me as well. I will be learning a lot about Weights and Biases, about machine learning. Uh, Luigi and I have something hopefully scheduled soon where he is going to walk me through his stuff and how he uses this. Yam, you're welcome to do as well. And I will be learning and I will be learning in public. So every newsletter will have a, a piece that says, what did I learn this week? You're welcome to follow along my learning journey. And shout out to Weights and Biases, Morgan, everybody who just like saw this as an opportunity. And now there's like this incredible collaboration. With that, I'm going to play us out. Have a great Thursday. Probably going to be a bunch of breaking news. Thank you all for joining and we'll see you next week. And I've been through an open, now the robot always dies. We think we felt cool if I was everywhere.